listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Appreciate y'all. Some of y'all showed up on time today because you're used to coming at nine and then it's 9.30 now. So some of you were still late, even though it was 30 minutes later. It's, that's the way it rolls, isn't it, in the church? Uh, appreciate y'all. Praying for our early service, had a great early service, like 280 folks showed up. The really spiritual ones in our church were here then. And so, no, uh, it was just great to see uh, a bunch of folks here and and to see y'all here. And if you're our guest, this is your first time, this is our first Sunday in three gatherings, so we're glad you are here. And if you are our guest, you've picked a doozy of a week to show up because we are gonna be in a, a, a challenging text this morning. What we do as a church is we work through books of the Bible predominantly. And so we find ourselves in Matthew 18 and a text that quite honestly, if I could use that kind of Amazon 15 second skip button, I would do, uh, but I'm not allowed to do that. And so we're gonna uh, look at a challenging text today. If you have one of uh, those kind of Bibles that has the red letters, how many of you guys have those red letter Bibles? This is a very red section, which means Jesus is speaking. And in fact, it's completely red because it's all Jesus's instructions. And, and it's interesting that this is a very unpreached text, but yet these are Jesus's words. And, and what, what the Lord Jesus wants for his church. He wants many things. He wants oneness. He wants unity. He prays for this in his high priestly prayer. Make them one, Lord, as we are one. And he prays, uh, and he wants purity in his church. Last week we saw, he says, hey, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. That's how serious he cares about purity. He, he wants us to help each other, not hinder each other. So he says, hey, don't cause your brother or sister to stumble. Encourage, help them. Because this is a, our growth is a community project. This is not about you and your King James Bible and Charles Stanley and you watching him on the, on the TV. This is a growth and, and oneness is a community project. And I need you and you need me and we need each other, right? And so if one of us wanders off, what does Jesus say? You go after the one, one of them. You leave the 99 and go. Why? Because Jesus cares about the oneness of his church and the purity of his church and sin destroys both of those things. And so the question that Jesus is gonna answer for us today is a very simple, but it's an important question. What do we do about sin in the church? What do we do? Now, we know what Jesus did. Jesus sacrificed his life. And he dealt with the penalty for our sin. But here's the thing. And, and if you've been in a church, if you're like new to the church, you're like, I didn't think ch- sin, ch- church sinned. Well, then you, you, you missed the boat here because there's not a person in this room that, is, that has not sinned and doesn't continue to sin. If you're looking for perfection, just keep walking down 69 to 68. You're not gonna find it here. As long as there's people in the church, there's sin in the church. So what do we do about this? Because even though we're called, what, saints? We ain't. We are positionally, but that's not because of how we behave. We are the bride of Christ. But let's be honest, sometimes the bride doesn't act very nice. But that's okay, because Jesus is purifying his bride, and he will present his bride as pure and holy one day. But we ain't there yet. Sin. And so how do we handle that? That is what Jesus is going to help us uh, discover today. And here's what's interesting. 
Usually, when the Lord Jesus is teaching on a, a subject, he uses a parable, or he asks a question, or he kind of gives this big idea principle. When it comes to this, he is very specific. He says, all right, this is like the HR manual to how to deal with this. Four steps, okay? Jesus never preaches four-step sermons. He just doesn't. He's usually telling, oh, there's a, there a man who had sheep, or this is going to, you know, a man went to a, tr- a far country. He usually gives some, some parable or some story to illustrate a principle. Right here, he's like, look, I just need to give you four points. Ready? Point one, point two, point three, point four. And so all I'm going to do is show you the points that Jesus says for us. Is, what do we deal, how do we deal with sin in our midst, right? Because it's important for us to be one. It's important for us to be pure. It's important for us to grow. Jesus has given us his, y'all, his Holy Spirit. It's not just his spirit. It's his Holy Spirit to help form us and to shape us into the image of Christ. And it should be an upward trajectory. Now there's falls and there's, it's, it's, sometimes we go down, but there should be this progression. We are looking more and more like Christ. And one of the ways that happens is, is what he deals with here in what we often call church discipline, which sounds very negative, right? And, and on the surface it is, but remember this, the writer of Hebrews says this, discipline, all of it, like waking up at 5 a.m. because you're training for something, that, that's discipline. It seems painful rather than pleasant, doesn't it? It does. When you say no to something and yes to this, it seems painful, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God wants reconciliation and oneness and purity and fruit in his church. And one of the ways that happens is through church discipline. And there's two categories of church discipline. There's what we call formative, which is basically what we're doing now. We open the word. I say, this is what God says. And we hear it and we respond. That's primarily how we do, quote, discipline. We preach the word, we respond to the word. But once in a while, even though we know what the word says, there needs to be correction. If you have children, you know this. You go into the Publix and you say, you're not getting candy. Do you understand this child? Yes, mommy. Okay, good. And as soon as you get to the checkout aisle, there's a Butterfinger in this hand and a Baby Ruth in this hand. And you said, no, you are not getting candy. Give me that, I want that, right? I'll I'll buy that for me, for mama later. But no, no candy, but I want the candy. No, it's, they start throwing a fit and you're all embarrassed because then there's a person from your community group back there and your kid's flipping out right there and you've seen, right? And you're embarrassed. It's not that this child didn't have the truth. It's just this child didn't care about the truth, so they need to be corrected. And once in a while, that has to happen. But if we do this, if we do formative discipline, we proclaim the word, less and less need for corrective. One writer says this, when it comes to church discipline, uh, in the body of Christ, when it comes to church discipline, if you compare that to discipline in the physical body, formative discipline would be eating right and exercising, right? That's the positive side. And then corrective discipline would be surgery. You don't want surgery. That's the last case scenario, but sometimes surgery is necessary. What we wanna do is we wanna exercise. What we wanna do is we wanna stop eating at Burger King, right? Eating healthy. But once in a while, we need to go to the doctor. And so today we're gonna practice formative so that we don't have to do corrective. But I want you to understand what the Lord Jesus says, even though this is not a text that you'll often hear. So let me read it and then we'll come back. Real simple. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. 
If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So he starts in saying this, if your brother sins, and it's what we call in the Greek a third class condition, and so the outcome is like up in the air, but the, but the odds are in your favor. Your brother will sin against you. He uses very masculine terms here. I don't know if that has, Jesus is hinting at anything. There's more sin with men and women. I don't know, but it's always the man. But he says, if your brother, not brother, if your brother sins, and he will, and here's the reality, and you will too. You will sin against someone. Your spouse, your kids, your boss, your pastors, your community group, the guy sitting next to you that you're like, he's kind of stinks this morning, you know, and you're talking about him, whatever. You will sin against one another, right? It's going to happen, so how do we deal with it? What does the Lord Jesus say? Let's, let's start real quick. Let me give you some kind of like parameters here. We are not talking about you being offended because you didn't like that the drums were too loud or this person said this or they closed the nursery because I was late or someone parked in my spot. We're not talking about you being offended because we lived in quite honestly a soft culture that gets offended by the temperature, okay? We're not talking about that, right? We're not talking about someone shares a different opinion than you. Right? We're not talking about that. We're not even talking about you and I being the sin police. This is not a text that says, all right, honey, Fowler preached, you're gonna follow the Smiths and I'm gonna follow the Millers and we're gonna find it. We're gonna, we're gonna search. I got these night goggles. We're gonna go by their house at night. We're gonna watch and see what they're watching on their TV. I, I, I stole their phone and I put a little tracking app on it so we're gonna see what they're doing. We're not talking about that. That's not what we're talking about, that you're the sin police. I, I gotta put a microphone in this car because I know that he swears at other cars on Duran Avenue. I know he does. And we're gonna talk about that with him. I'm not talking about that. That's not what we're doing, right? Love covers a multitude of sins. The proverb says that, that it is a glory of man to overlook offenses. So we are patient with one another. We're kind with one another. What we're talking about here is that there is a sin that someone has done to you that's causing tension, all right, that you can't sleep at night because you're thinking about it. There, there's, there's a relationship that needs to be reconciled or there's just a blatant sin in this person's life that is dangerous to them, it's dangerous to others. It's causing the name of Christ to be drugged through the mud because everyone knows that that guy's a Christian, but he is sloppy drunk at every football game and he goes to that church. And so the name of Jesus is being drugged through the mud because of that. That's what we're talking about. Not, oh, you said a bad word because this person slammed on the brakes in front of you. Okay, so let's be clear about that because if that was the case, then you better just go get in a coma for the rest of your life because you're gonna be under church discipline the rest of your life. Okay, so that's what we're talking about here. So what happens there? What does Jesus say to do? I think it's, it's significant what Jesus does not say. One thing he does not say is, if that person offends you, you just leave the church and go to another church. Or I just leave church altogether and I can claim church hurt and I can put myself on a blog and talk about it to somebody that I was wounded and somebody doesn't like me. Or, well, since we're in three services now, you find out they go to the eight o'clock service, so I'm going to the 11 because I don't want to see them in the parking lot. There's a chance I might drive by them. I don't want to even see that person. None of those things, right? He doesn't say, go tell everybody about it, right? What does he say? He doesn't say, ignore it. 
right? That's, that's what we see in our culture. Oh, you see someone that's in, a, in, a, in an addiction that's devastating their family or they're destroying themselves. Well, let's, let's you be you, right? That's the kind of, this, you be you. None of those. What does he say? Step one, go to the person, keyword, alone. Alone. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and you alone. Go and tell are both imperatives. They're commands in the Greek text. Go. He offended you? Go to him. And the question will be this, right? Well, he's the one who offended me. Shouldn't he come to me? Answer, yes, he should. In fact, Matthew 5, Jesus dealt with this in the Sermon on the Mount. If you're offering your sacrifice on the altar and you remember, oh man, I got in a fight with my spouse before, leave leave the sacrifice there and go make up before you alter. So is it your job if you've sinned to pursue the other? Yes. Is it your job if someone sins against you to pursue them? Yes. What's Jesus's point? Whether you're the wrong or the wronger, you have to pursue the other person. So no one is off the hook. We pursue one another. Why? Because growth is a community project. Because oneness is important. Because we care about the growth of other people. Because God's spirit dwells in me and he dwells in them. And we are supposed to be one. So I pursue them regardless. Is this challenging? Absolutely. Do we want to do it? No. Does does it take humility? Yes. Which is why last week he said, you want to enter the kingdom of heaven? You got to be humble like a child. It takes huge humility to go say, hey, this was wrong. And if you're going to do this, let me give you three prerequisites before you do. Because some of you are like, yes, I've been waiting for this sermon. I'm going to go tell them right now after church. Okay, before you go to someone, three things. Number one, pray. Pray for yourself. Pray that you would be gentle and humble. Pray for them that they would be receptive. What is the goal? Gain your brother. Not let your brother have it. Not tell him how you hurt me. You want your brother to grow. That's what you want. You want reconciliation. You want repentance, which is what God wants. So you pray and then secondly, you search your own eye and check and see if you got a log in your eye before you go take your brother's speck out. Remember, Jesus tells us that? Because you wanna make sure that before you confront somebody and how holy you are, that you're not missing it, right? And then you go, and again, remember the purpose. You gain your brother. Because if, if the goal is for you to just let them have it, then you're, then you're worse than they are, right? So he says, go to your brother and go what? Alone. Key, underline, highlight that word, alone. Everyone say alone. Alone. Say it again. That's so important because here's what we do in the church. You see that knucklehead acting like a knucklehead. And what do we do? We go home and say, I saw that knucklehead looking like a knucklehead and the kids heard it. And so the kids get on Snapchat. You should have, my dad saw so-and-so acting like a knucklehead. And by the time we get to Sunday, the entire church is following a post where that knucklehead has acted like a knucklehead. And everyone knows it, right? Instead of talking to a person, we talk about a person. And all that does is divide. And that, y'all, is what Satan wants to do to Jesus' church. He wants to kill. He wants to deceive. He wants to destroy. He wants to divide. And let me tell you, Proverbs 6 says, there's seven things that the Lord hates. And you know what number seven is? A brother who sows discord against brothers. That's what he says, right? Someone who divides. You go and you go 
alone. And the genius of the process, the genius of Jesus telling us this is, if you go to your brother or your sister and there's a real struggle, not in front of the kids, not in front of the grandparents, not in front of your community group, you go alone and you have a conversation and your goal is to win that person. And they do, they're like, you're right, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Who else knows? Nobody. Nobody ever knows. And you've won your brother. And and the oneness of the church goes on, right? That's the point. So stop doing it in front of the kids. Stop doing it in front of your community group. Talking about all these things, right? This is step one. Not that you don't put it under the rug, but you go with the goal of oneness and reconciliation. Hey, buddy, I just got to talk to you about this. this. This bothers me. Can you help me understand? And if he responds, you've won your brother and it moves on and we grow. But what if he doesn't listen? What if, what if she doesn't respond, right? Jesus said, well, I've done my part. No, Jesus says, you're still responsible. He says, bring one or two others with you now. Look at next verse. But if he or she does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. The point is not just to get your little gaggle, your little click to pick on this person. That's not the point. The point is you take one or two reliable people that are honest, that are neutral, that are mature, and you go and say, hey, here's kind of what's going on. What do y'all think? Because they might say, you're wrong. You're seeing this wrong and you need to step back and, and, and there's no agenda here. That, that may very well happen because we're blind. Or they might say, you know what? I think you're being a little harsh. Or they might say, hey, they're right. We see this too. You, you need to respond to this, right? But the person will more likely respond to these two or three that are faithful and neutral and trustworthy and honest and aren't gonna go talk about it to everyone else than maybe to you. And so you bring two or three. What's the goal? Again, repentance. The goal is, is that you would bring them into the light. And we, I see churches do this all the time. They, they wanna di- rush to discipline. You gotta give time for people to repent. Like it's not you go in, if you don't repent by three o'clock today, we're gonna go do, 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 do. No, you go in and you appeal to them. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then you pray and give the Holy Spirit time to move on people. You would be amazed if you would get out of the way, you just talk about what, here's what God says, and you let the Spirit of God move, how people will respond to the Spirit of God. Because it is the Spirit of God that convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, not Bill Fowler. Bill Fowler has no ability to do anything except for mock Georgia. Great game last night, by the way. I thought, I don't have any ability to convict anybody. Right? I can't, but the Spirit does. And the Spirit is the one who renews. And the Spirit is the one who empowers to obey. That's all. So we put the word. Here's what truth is. We come alongside. We love you. Please repent. Please. Again, we're not talking about because you use this flavor. We're talking about someone who's, they're going off into sin. They're, they're leaving their spouse for this person at the office and they don't care. They're in this heavy addiction, this alcoholism, this, this pornography that is destroying their family. They're treating their employees like, like, like dogs and they claim Christ. And all these people are like, that guy's a Christian, I want nothing. That's what we're talking about. And so you go and you appeal, this is what God says. What if they don't listen then to the two and three? He says, then you involve the church leadership. This is the next step. Again, step one, step two, step three. Jesus is very clear. It's not call the pastor. I saw, I saw so-and-so down at the Sam's and he was doing this. No, follow steps. Third step involves church leadership. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, the early church, remember, is 20, 30 folks meeting in a room, 
right? And there's no First Baptist, First Methodist, First Presbyterian, Second Baptist, Free Will Baptist. You know, there's no all these different churches. There's one church in Ephesus and Laodicea and, and Smyrna and these places, right? And it's probably 20 or 30. So in that sense, there would be a small group of elders. For us as a church of this size, what would this would look like for us if it gets to this step? We would involve the shepherding elders, which are the staff pastors or the governing elders, one or more. And we would go to that person and say, please, you got, you got to turn. We would do it with gentleness. We would say, hey, this is what God says and this is what we see. And maybe these two or three were wrong and so we can evaluate there. Maybe you are taking steps of obedience because we're not looking for perfection here. There's no perfect. Don't expect perfect. Expect, we want upward trajectory. We want, we want moving towards obedience. But we're gonna, we're gonna go, we're gonna, we're gonna pray, we're gonna meet, we're gonna beg, Right? That's what we're gonna do. This is what one of the roles of elders are. And if an elder's not willing to do this, then, then they're, not, they're not gonna be an elder, right? You can't be. This, it's not the most fun thing elders do, but it is one thing that we are supposed to do. We, we, we have to go after the sheep because Jesus says that you leave 99 and you go after the one. So we're gonna go. We're gonna call, right? When there's a wander, right? And we're gonna ask, how do we help this person who's been sinned against? And how do we help this person who's in the middle of sin? And we're gonna give time. We're not gonna be like, all right, you have till Thursday. No, we're gonna give time for the spirit to work. And if they will not respond at this level, right? Then Jesus says, step four is there to be removed from the fellowship, right? He says, if he refuses to listen to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. What that means is they are no longer members in good standing. They're removed from the fellowship. It doesn't mean you shun them. Jesus doesn't say ignore them or shun them. He says, treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. That's, that's his words for outsiders. They are, they are now being treated as a non-believer. What do we do for non-believers? We pray for them and we beg them to believe in Christ. Because what has happened here is here's a person who says, I am a follower of Jesus. I am a Christian, but I have left my spouse and I am going for this other person or whatever the sin is. And, and by their actions, they are denying the very uh, they're very conversion. They're denying what they say they believe. And so what we are, as a church would say is we don't believe you anymore because your life is moving in this direction even though you're saying this and, and we, we can't reconcile the two. So we're calling you to repent like a non-believer. And if you do, what do we do? We're gonna welcome you back and we're gonna rejoice and we're gonna kill the fattened calf, not literally, but metaphorically. We'll go to barns together. We'll do something, Right? But we're gonna celebrate because that's what God does. But right now we, we are putting you out into the world because we don't believe that you are uh, a follower of Jesus. And this is why y'all, church membership, this is why we do church membership. Is there a verse in the Bible that says, do church membership, go to the start here? No, there's not. But this says that this is, this is a point where you kick someone out of the church. If there's a way to be put out of the church, then there's gotta be a way to come in right? It's one of the reasons why we do membership. Who are our sheep? Who are the ones the elders are held accountable for? Because Hebrews 13 says, we will give an account for the sheep, right? For our people. And there is a case study. If you're like, oh, is there anything else about this in the New Testament? There's a case study of church discipline in the book of First Corinthians chapter five. And Paul says, he deals with it. He says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, a kind that's not even tolerated among pagans. A man has his father's wife. You have a guy who's basically having an affair with his stepmom in the church. And you are doing nothing about it, Corinth. You're arrogant. You're actually boasting. They're saying, look how tolerant we are. We are so gracious. 
We just accept anybody. Doesn't matter what they do, what, how they live. He says, you ought to mourn. Let him who has done this thing be removed. He should be gone. For though I'm absent in body, I am present in spirit. And if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. And when you assemble in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you will deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that the spirit may be saved. The idea is he needs to be out so that he repents of this sin. Why? Because Jesus cares about the purity in his church. And everyone's like, oh, look, isn't that fun? Isn't that good? No, it's not. The next verse says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Get the leaven out so you don't, the, the corruption in this, of the sin doesn't spread. Now, this man repents. Second Corinthians chapter two. This man repents. He's kicked out. He's under discipline. He repents. And then the Corinthians, they let the pendulum swing too hard. And they're like, no, you can't come back. And he's like, no, no, let him back. He repented. You guys got to love him. He's your brother, right? You, you, you're missing the boat. The point is growth. The point is sanctification. That's the goal. I know this seems very like scarlet letter, right? To some of us, right? And, it, and the scarlet letter is actually not right because they're not, we're not shaming sinners. We're calling sinners to believe that Christ forgives and, to, and once they do, man, we restore. We don't hold that against you. Right? You're a brother, you're a sister. We welcome you back. But this is the process that Jesus says, this is how you deal with it when it's unrepentant sin in the body, right? And it is good. It's, it's the most loving thing. If you are a, a father or a mother and you don't discipline your child, you're, you're not training them for life. And, and, and Hebrews says, if we don't have discipline, then we're, un, we're illegitimate, right? We're an illegitimate child because God loves those who he disciplines, right? So this is part of the process of how God says, deal with sin in your midst, right? And it's good for the person who is challenged because it, they grow, it's good for our church because if this happens and we see it, and this is constantly happening, y'all, we rarely get to that fourth step. Most of the time, it's, it's you and your, your buddy at a, a coffee shop at 6 a.m. and like, dude, you need, to, you need to straighten out. Yeah, you're right. It's a spouse saying, hey, you're being this and I think this is where you should go. And it's like, yeah, you're right. Right? We don't rarely get to step three and four, rarely. That's the point because we're living together. We're walking together. We're encouraging each other. Sometimes we're calling each other out. That's what we're called to do. Why? Because it's, the Christian life is hard. It's, it's a marathon. I mean, and I know about how not to run marathons, okay? I know how to pass out in mile 25. Marathons are hard. You need golf carts to finish them. I did. And we need each other to run this race. You can't run it alone. And that's the point. And you're never we're supposed to. That's why Jesus sent his spirit. And that's why he given us, again, his church. If it was just about you alone, you could just watch the best preacher in the world on TV and never leave the couch and be in your jammies and drink hot chocolate and eat bonbons while you watch church. It's not supposed to be that way. We stir one another up as long as it's still called today. It's good for us, it's good for the church. And by the way, it's good for our testimony and our witness. If, if churches would have functioned this way five, 10 years ago, and when we see churches like Mars Hill, and for those of you who are familiar with Mark Driscoll and that whole debacle in Seattle or the debacle at Harvest Bible Chapel, if those would have called out some of these guys who were abusive and doing what they were doing with money and all these things, then the reputation of Jesus wouldn't have been drugged through the mud. If we have a person that leaves their spouse or goes out and they're doing this and we do nothing, what we are saying is Jesus doesn't care about that. His reputation doesn't matter 
yeah, that person can leave their spouse and go marry that person and, and right in front. And they can still come here and they're fine. We don't care. No, the reputation of Jesus is at stake. And that's not, again, we're not following people around, but we are caring about purity and it gives the world a distinction. This is different. This is something different. This is salt and light. And if you wanna see how Jesus cares about purity in his church, read Revelation two and three and how he responds to Sardis and Pergamum and Laodicea and Philadelphia and all these churches. He says, I have this against you. And if you don't respond, I'm pulling your your lampstand. You're out because this matters, right? God is gracious, but he calls us to believe and repent. So this is a necessary part. And it is challenging and it is difficult and it is no fun, which is why in closing, he gives us a promise, right? He gives us a promise and he gives us a, uh, a response on, on why we are able to do this. He gives us the authority. Look what he says. He says, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And this verse has been ripped out of its context so badly, right? In all sorts of weird ways, uh, you, you can bind demons and you can loose. You, you don't bind demons. When Michael the archangel goes up against Satan, he says, the Lord rebuke you. He doesn't even bind demons. So you don't bind demons. This is not what this is talking about. This is rabbinic language, which a Jewish audience would have understand. When you're binding something, it means you're, you're linking it to them. When we say this person is guilty of this sin, that's binding. And when we say this person is loose, that means they're forgiven. They've repented. And what Jesus is saying is this. I give you the authority. When you follow this process, the four steps, I give you the authority as my church to bind and loose. And when you do, the tense of the Greek is it's already completed. It'll have been already loosed and bound in heaven. You are causing the will of God. You are fulfilling the will of God. And when we, when we follow this, when we care about the growth and purity of his church. And then he says, this is the authority, but also I give you my presence. I say to you, if, if two of you agree on earth about anything, it'll be done for them. This is not a blanket promise Well, we pray that, that the Georgia will win again the national championship. We got two guys praying that? Okay, we're gonna win. That's not what he's promising. Again, the context is church discipline. Even the last verse, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. You hear this all the time at the beginning of church. Church, two or three are gathered, God is here. God is always here. If it's one of you, God is here. If it's a billion of you, God is here. That's not the point. He, what he's saying is, I'm in this. My presence is in this. I give you the authority and I am with you. I am behind you. I care more about that lost person wandering than you do. I paid for their sin. I care more about bringing growth and oneness and unity. I'm the one who prayed. Make them one as we are one. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is Jesus. That's me. So I'm with y'all. So I know this is challenging and I know you're timid and I know you don't want to do this, but I am there. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Because y'all, Jesus is what binds us. What binds us is not your socioeconomic status. It's not where you went to college, what your favorite team is, not what race you are, not what your age group is. Those are how the world well, I'm a sig up, I'm a tridel, I went to Georgia, class of 98, right? That's how they bind each other. We, what, what Lord Jesus does is he takes a group of people that would normally not associate Florida, Georgia, right? Uh, Northerner, Southerner, old, young, artist, engineer, whatever. Athlete, non-athlete. And he says, here's what binds you, 
me. You are a sinner separated from God. You put your faith in me. Now you're one. And I want you to help each other run the race that's set before you. Encouraging one another, loving one another. When they fall, you pick them up. When you fall, they pick you up. And we crawl across the finish line, even if you have to go get a golf cart to get Fowler across. You all get across together. That's what we're doing here. And sometimes you're gonna have to be like, get up. Sometimes you're gonna have to pick them up. That's what we're doing. Why? Because that's what the Lord Jesus did for us. This is not a group of perfect people who have come in this room to celebrate our perfection. It is a group of people that say, I need a savior. I'm broken. I need God. God help me. God help them. And and when we come like that, last week's sermon, childlike faith, dependency, humility, responding to the simplicity of what he said, he says, I'm in that. That's what greatness is. Let's do that together. When you come thinking, I know what I'm doing and I'm gonna call out sin and I'm gonna look. Because some of you I know you're thinking, I'm gonna go start looking. You You better watch out. That's not the heart of this text. The heart of this text is, search me. I'm humble. To him who thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. And I wanna help my brother, but I am humble because I know I could be me. Yet for the grace of God, that will be me. And we stay humble, dependent on the spirit and watch him work. Praise God he is, not because we're great, but because he is, right? That's what he does. So I wanna pray. And some of you, if you're in a place where you're, you're, you've been playing with sin, you're like, man, I've been playing with fire. This is a chance for you to say, hey, I'm, I'm out. No, because it's gonna destroy you. Yes, you're forgiven, but that doesn't mean there's not consequences. And some of you really do need to go to a roommate. Or you, there's, a, there's a friend that hasn't been at church in six months and they're, they're spiraling and there's an addiction to drugs or alcohol or gambling or pornography, whatever it is. And, and they need you to come alongside and pray for them and encourage them. And, and I want you to have the courage and the boldness by the Holy Spirit to do so. But we just pray for fruit. That's what we want. We wanna win our brothers and sisters. We wanna grow together. We want to encourage one another to grow. And that's what we're called to do. And so whatever is necessary, you just spend a few minutes as I pray, praying, and then we'll respond through singing. Father, thank you that you've given us your spirit. This is not an easy text. It's just not. It's not one that I wanna preach. It's not one I wanna think about often, but it, it's so necessary because we know sin destroys and divides and we are constantly bombarded and we need each other to show us blind spots. We need each other to encourage. We certainly need encouragement in this world that is challenging. Our temptations are are sure to come, as Jesus says. Uh, So just let us not be the source of them and let us encourage each other and, and stir one another up to boldness and to hope because one day, whether it's tomorrow or in a thousand years, you will return and you will take sin out and temptation out and we will live forever just in peace and joy and and hope. But until then, help us to be faithful. Whatever needs to take place, Lord, in our hearts, uh, give us the strength to do it by your spirit. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. You guys can stand as we sing.